Let me uh, also welcome all of you that are here for the very first time. We have lots of new visitors here each and every weekend. Welcome to all of you that are watching online. We're glad that you're with us. Let me just say how, um, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what we were just doing is so necessary for the inner man to come and just fellowship with other believers, to uh, sing some sacred songs together um, to God and about God, that we together as a church family, like those wise men 2,000 years ago when they showed up to that baby, the king, and brought gifts to him. Just, it's a good thing. It's a good thing for our souls to, to do what, what we're doing. And for me, I, I get to do it. It's not I have to do it, but I, I get to do it two more times tomorrow. And I leave here on a Sunday afternoon, and wow, my, my soul is, is full. It's a great, it's a, the, the weekends are a great thing. It was, about a, it was about a month ago or so, I put a picture up on the Jumbotrons of a building down on 9th Street. It was the old St. Stan's um, restaurant. And, and there was uh, some evil people that were trying to come into my city and they wanted to open up a strip joint in there. They called it a cabaret place, but it was actually a strip joint just full of evil and sin and debauchery and stuff. And so I just put it up on the jumbotrons and said, we need to pray. You know, I don't work for the city council. I, I'm not a supervisor. Uh, I don't work on the planning commission. I don't issue permits and all those kinds of things. But I, I, I know the God who holds the, the hearts of kings in his hands. And we just prayed and said, we don't want that evil, crummy thing in our city. Got enough crud in our city. We, we don't need that. <laughs> and uh, today, if you notice in the newspaper, the, the guys from down south that were trying to buy it just said, man, I, I'm just tired of working with the people in this city. You guys are crazy, man. And, and he, he lost 30 grand. He lost his uh, deposit. <laughs> and and he, he's, moving, he's moving out. <laughs> the best part was, not only was he leaving, but he lost the 30 grand on the deal. I just thought, I just thought man, God, that's fantastic, man. Now, here's the deal. You know, it doesn't always work that way when you pray. God doesn't always do things the way you want them to be done. The Bible says he's God and he does whatever pleases him. He's sovereign. But we do have the great privilege to uh, come to him and share with him what's on our heart and ask him to intercede for us. And sometimes he does. And um, when he does, you know, we've we got to stop and, and thank him. And so just join me. Father, uh, we prayed and prayed and prayed. I, I know I prayed a lot. I drove down to that place on a number of occasions and just kind of walked around it like Joshua and the men of Jericho as they walked around those walls. And Lord, I'm really grateful that you honored our prayers. But Lord, I know that evil isn't done. Evil's looking at our city and trying to figure out how else they can get here and bring crud and crime and drugs and just all kinds of crummy stuff. And so Lord, Lord, as your people, we'll stay vigilant, but we are thankful for this victory. And I pray this in your name, amen. Well, here's the deal. If you are uh, visiting with us today, we're in a series where we're going through the book of Romans together or the letter that uh, Paul wrote to uh, the believers in, in Rome. And uh, we'll be looking at chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, turn to chapter 5 of the book of Romans. If you don't have a Bible, all of the verses are inside your program in that little note sheet. In fact, I give you all the answers. You don't have to fill in any blanks. I'm just, it's all right there. All the verses that I'm going to look at are right here. So if I don't make it through the message, and I can guarantee I'm not going to make it through this message, you'll have all the blanks all filled in, and you can go home and on your own study the Word of God. They'll also come up on the jumbotrons. We think it's important for you to see the Word of God for yourself. 
But if you're here and you don't own a copy of the Word of God, you're an individual and you don't have a Bible, maybe you're a couple, a married couple, and you don't own a copy of the Word of God, all you have to do is go into the altar room when we're done and go, hey, I'm here, I don't own a Bible, and we would love to put one in your hands. We'll give you one. We want you to have the Bible. We want you to have the Word of God on your own so you can read it at, at any um, moment. Now, now, one of the things that we're doing as we go through the book of Romans together is each week we have what we call a not ashamed video where uh, we just grab one of the people of our church and there's thousands and we just kind of capture a little moment of their life, a little story, a little vignette of something that's happening in their life and they've been really interesting, and there's young and old, and today's is really great, so check out the uh, Jumbotrons. Right now in my life, I'm a retired chaplain with Community Hospice, working for people who were writing the last chapter of the Book of Life, and met many people that were dying, and at first I felt very uncomfortable, in that setting, but I knew God had called me to do this. It all started back 20 years ago while I was working at Stanislaw Vision as a frame stylist. A patient came in and sat before me, and when I put frames on his face, I looked in his eyes, and his eyes were, there was no light, there was no life. And I asked him, how, how are you feeling? How are you doing today? And he opened up his heart and said, I, I'm horrible, I feel I'm anxious all the time. I don't know who I am, why I'm here. I have no purpose. And then I realized the Holy Spirit kind of shook me a little bit, and I knew that I had to share. So I told him I used to feel the very same way for many years until I got right with God. I went to church, Big Valley Grace, and um, learned about the love of Jesus and how I, my life could be changed and how I needed to get right with God invited the Prince of Peace into my heart, and it didn't take away all my problems, but it gave me an anchor to hold on to. So I um, suggested that he try Big Valley. Just go in and see how you how it, it is, and he, so he went. And um, came back about a week later, he sat down in front of me, and I put the new glasses on his face, and I couldn't help but notice my goodness, his eyes. And I said, I don't know what's going on with you, but these glasses, I don't think these glasses could make your eyes look like they do right now. And he shared with me that he'd gone to Big Valley. When the message was preached, he felt like it was right to him and knew that he was loved by God and he received the Lord and that he knew why he was here because God created him and Jesus saved him. And uh, about two weeks later, I opened up the Modesto B, and there on the obituary was his name. He had died in a truck accident. He was a truck driver. And I can tell you, I, I screamed, and I thought, oh my gosh, no, how sad. Then I realized how happy. He even changed his address and went to be with the Lord because he was shared the love of Christ. And the only emotion and feeling that I didn't have was regret. I can see how God prepared me for where I am right now. Working at community hospice uh, with a death and dying. You know, you, you walk into the room and it amazed me how different a believer in Jesus Christ's death can look compared to one that's rejected Jesus. The one that's rejected Jesus, they have a miserable time letting go because they have no hope where they're going. But the ones that knew the Lord, it was amazing, totally amazing to see their faces even at the moment of their death. Some of them even had a smile on their face like they were looking in another place. That was the most rewarding, rewarding time of my life and there's nothing more meaningful. That's why we're here, to share our hope, to be transparent with others and their security really is in our hands. So I'm so thankful that I, I did what I did in spite of myself. My name is Carol Cassidy and I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
First of all, Vince, I tell you this all the time, and you guys are unbelievable in our video department, man. It's just all these videos are so well done. They're like professional things that you'd see on TV or something, man. You're just guys that love Jesus here, you know. What a great story. She found a place at her uh, job. She was uh, an evangelist, cleverly disguised as an eye, uh, <laughs> you know, glasses person. And uh, she took an opportunity to share Christ with somebody. This past week, uh, or last weekend, you know, I, uh, my message was about being witnesses out in the world. And I got a couple of emails from some folks that were really fantastic. One of them was from a guy who, uh, this is his church, and he had a chance to write a blog uh, for a, um, the place that he works that we're going to go out to all of the people that were a part of the, this club that he's in. And he kind of wrote the blog about what was going on. And, you know, all of a sudden he begins to remember the message. And he goes, oh, hold on here. And he goes back and he says, okay, I, I, I need to insert something about Jesus Christ and uh, how Jesus has made a difference in my, my life. And so he goes back through, rewrites it, and then he sends it out. And I read that thing he sent me, and I thought, you know what? That's how we all need to think, those of us that name the name of Christ. It's, it's a good thing to come here, and together as believers, we worship the Lord. This is a great thing. But we leave here in just a little bit, and we scatter all over the city and the county and outside of our county, and God wants us to be salt and light out there. This isn't about a little, you know, us four and no more that gather here on the weekend and we, you know, we got ours and, you know, nobody else gets anything too bad. No, we're about reaching the lost and finding little opportunities to say, okay, maybe this is the moment, Lord, like Carol did with uh, somebody. Well, here's the deal. The, the, the passage that we're going to look at today is really great, okay? It's really uh, rich and profound and it's um, full of life changing truth, and that's truth with a capital T. Um, it's encouraging truth. But before I get into it, I need to remind us of where we've been so far. We took three weeks off because of our annual REACH conference, and we brought some of our uh, foreign uh, global partners back here, our missionary partners uh, they use an old school term. We had a weekend, we had all of our local partners here, and and so we took uh, three weeks off from the book of Romans, and we're getting back into it. And before I do that, I want to remind us all of where we've been, especially if you're new. I want you to kind of know where we're, where we're at. The first three verses of Romans chapter 1 kind of set the stage for the entire book. The Bible says in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, this letter is from Paul. And then he says, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, the good news was promised in the Old Testament. The good news isn't something that just sprung on the scene, you know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born in a, in a manger. God has promised this good news throughout all of the Bible. And then verse 3 says, the good news or the gospel is about his son. You see, Paul had never been to this church before. He had never been to Rome. And so he begins by introducing himself to the people. He tells them that he was a servant of Jesus, that he was called by God to be an apostle, and that he was set apart to preach the gospel or the, the good news. And in verse 3, he tells us exactly what the gospel is or what the good news is. The gospel, if you were to put it into one word, is Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters the world, God promised to send the Messiah, a Savior who would solve the problem of sin. He promised the good news. And throughout all of the Old Testament, we hear the stories from the great prophets that the Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming. And in seven more Saturday nights, 
We celebrate the fact that the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited Savior was born. The good news was born. The gospel was born in a little town called Bethlehem. And we celebrate that. We call it Christmas, you know, uh, everywhere. Now, Paul goes on to say this in verse 16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. The, the gospel, Jesus had changed Paul's life. You see, at one time, Paul was a religious terrorist, much like the religious terrorists that we see today. Really no different. He would kill Christians. He was involved in killing believers. He was a religious terrorist. And then one day on a road to Damascus, the gospel invaded his life. The good news invaded his life. Jesus invaded his life. And at that moment, everything changed in his life. Because that's what happens when the Messiah or the Savior, the gospel, the good news invades your life. Stuff happens. And if stuff doesn't happen, then it wasn't genuine. You got a goosebump. Music was great. That preacher, man, he was good. I know. <laughs> But you know what? You, you never gave your life to the gospel, to the good news. Because when you do, if it's genuine, boom! Your life changes. And that certainly was the case with Paul. Paul had personally experienced the power of the gospel in his life, which is why he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul knew from firsthand experience that Jesus could transform a life, any life. If he could transform a religious terrorist, a guy who was running around literally killing Christians, stoning Christians, if he could transform a life like that, wow, he could transform any life. That's power. Paul got it. He wasn't ashamed of it. Wasn't ashamed of it. Now, the book of Romans is basically divided up into five major sections or five major parts. The first major part is what I've entitled the problem. The first three chapters of Romans are all about the problem that we as human beings have, and, and that's sin. Paul spends basically chapters one, two, and about halfway through chapter three simply telling the church at Rome, the believers who were at Rome, the problem, the problem that all of us face, and that is sin. Three chapters. And those were depressing chapters, weren't they? Some of you didn't want to come here on the weekend. Man, why do I want to go there? All he's going to do is talk about sin. I know I had to because when you go through a book of the Bible, you just kind of go where the, the, the text takes you. Paul's going to say, and we'll get to it here in about three weeks, Lord willing, in Romans chapter 5, when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. When In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, it, it, it then changed everything. Everything from that moment on in human existence and human history changed because sin entered the world. This is why everything is so messed up in the world today. If you want to know why the world is so messed up, forget the world. You want to know why America is so messed up? Forget America. You want to know why California is so messed up? Forget about California. You want to know why Stanislaus County is so messed up? Forget about that. You want to know why your own personal life at times is so messed up? It's sin. It's impacted everything. It's messed up everything. 
Because it brought sin or evil into the hearts of human beings, which obviously then brought sin and evil into the world. Sin literally dominates everything that happens. It, 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 it literally dominates everything that happens within the world. It's a superpower. It literally destroys everything that gets in, a, in its way and it creates nothing but bad news. That's all it does. Ever since Genesis chapter three, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. It's all bad news. Until you get to a little town in Bethlehem and all of a sudden, good news. The long-awaited Messiah was born. The long-awaited Savior was born. God promised, I'm gonna take care of this problem. I'm gonna take care of it. I'm gonna make it possible for your sins to be dealt with. And in just a few weeks, we celebrate that unbelievable moment. But the ugliest thing about sin is that it brought death with it, physical death, that's the reason why we all die, but way more importantly, spiritual death. Sin killed our relationship with God. It messed up our relationship with God. It brought God's judgment upon our lives. That's why it's bad news. In fact, sin has so impacted some of your lives here, maybe watching online, you're so messed up with sin, you don't even believe in God anymore. That's how powerful it is. You actually believe two molecules got together a billion years ago, and here you are. Two molecules got to a billion, you know, got together a billion years ago, and you got an eyeball on your hands. Think that one through. Two molecules got together a billion years ago, and we got a porcupine. Are you kidding me? Really? Sin is just this powerful force. It just blinds us to, to truth. And Paul makes it crystal clear that you don't have the power to fix the problem of sin. But there's good news. His name is Jesus. Jesus has the power to fix the problem of sin. This is the second major section of the book of Romans, which I've entitled The Solution. So the first major section is the problem. And you know what? It doesn't mean anything to talk about the good news if you don't understand the bad news. Paul's a smart man. He knows I got to start with the bad news. I got to let everybody understand what the problem is. Because if I just start with, God loves you, great. And they walk out the door. God loves me. A guy just told me, God loves me. <laughs> That's nice to know. The question is, is what does that mean? Why, why do you even need to tell me that God loves me? Hey, Jesus died on the cross for you. Hey, that's fantastic. Why did he have to die on the cross for me? You see, what Paul's dealing with in the first section is the problem. And once you understand the problem, now you can get to the next section, which is the solution to the problem. You can get to the gospel. You can get to the good news. Romans chapter 3 says this. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin... People are made right with God. How? When they believe. It's by faith. They, they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This is where the second major section of the book of Romans starts, really, in Romans 3.25. Paul begins to make the case that the only way that a person can be made right before God is through a relationship with his son, Jesus. And three weeks ago... As I said, which was the last time that we studied the book of Romans, we looked at Romans chapter 4, where Paul used the life of Abraham in chapter 4 and of King David in chapter 4 of Romans to illustrate the point that we are saved by our faith in God, by our belief in God. He uses Abraham, and he says Abraham was, you know, a friend of God. Abraham and God were on, you know, they were, they were golden. Everything was good between them simply because Abraham believed God. He believed, God, I believe you. I'm going to trust in you. And God declared Abraham as righteous long before 
the law ever came around. The law comes around in 430 years, so he couldn't have been made right because he kept the Ten Commandments. They hadn't even been created. They, you know, that doesn't happen for a long time. And it's not for you know, at least two more chapters in Genesis chapter 9, 10, 11, you get to those areas right in there where circumcision is instituted. And so Paul in chapter 4 says, look, I'm going to use these two great men of the faith, Abraham and King David, to illustrate the point that you're made right with God, not because you do a bunch of good things or because you keep keep the Ten Commandments or because you put offering in the bag or because you go on a missions trip or you come to church every weekend. That isn't how you're made right with God. You're made right with God only one way. The solution is the long-awaited Messiah, Savior, was born. The gospel was born. The good news was born. And that was Jesus, the second person of the, of the Holy Trinity. So with all this said, let me read the two verses that we're going to look at uh, tonight. And I'll tell you what, I think it's going to just lead us to a beautiful time at the end. Of You're, you're going to hold the gospel in your hands here in a little bit. <laughs> You're going to hold the good news in your hands here in just a a moment. And I think this is going to just set us up just really beautifully. So Romans chapter 5, that's where we're at. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith... Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Now, as I said a moment ago, uh, the first three chapters, you know, Paul makes this depressing case that all of us are sinners. Every one of us is evil to some degree. Every one of us is wicked to some degree. Okay, the, the message of the Bible is, is that we're all messed up. There's nobody good. The Bible's message is we're all evil. Some are just more evil than others. Evil is somewhat subjective. Some people are more, uh, 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 Charlie Manson's more evil than you. I get it. He's more evil. Evil, there, there's, there's degrees of evil. But there's only one who's good. And that's Jesus. And when you invite Jesus into your life, he makes you good. Now you can look at somebody and say, well, that person's a good person. Well, they may be better than Charlie Manson. They may be better than Jeffrey Dahmer. They may be better than Hitler. But the Bible's message is we're all evil because of sin. And it's when you receive Christ in your life, at that moment, you've received good He's good, period. And he makes you good then because you have him in your your life. But the first three chapters, Paul just lets us all know because of sin, we're all doomed for hell. Uh, God's judgment is on our lives. But there's good news, right? God has provided a way for you to escape his coming wrath. You can be made right with God. You can be saved from the consequences of sin. God has the power to uh, make you right before him, and this happens through faith. It's the only way you're ever made right with God. It's through faith. Faith in God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Once again, look at verse 1. Just look at verse 1. Okay, of Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. By faith. You believe. You, you believe. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Some of your Bibles word it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified. Right? Some of your Bibles say that. That's probably a way better translation in the English. Through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. I want, you know, you got to get this and understand this. And this is going to make this moment just really sweet if you really grab onto this, okay? If you know Jesus as your Savior, if you got to that moment where the Lord opened up your eyes to the truth by you, your sin, 
how your sin had messed up everything between you and God. The truth about the fact that you couldn't save yourself, you couldn't fix yourself. The truth that God did love you and he sent his son Jesus to come and die on a cross. They put him in a tomb. Three days later he walked out of the tomb, which, you, which God would do, right? There's no way a tomb was going to hold God. That, was, that, 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 that wasn't for him. That was for you. That was for us. So God could say, see, I told you. Told you who he was. How could death kill a Messiah? How could death have anything to do with a Savior? He's the good news. If he doesn't come out of the tomb, there's no good news. <laughs> he walks out of the tomb not because he could go, hey, look, man, whoo, that was close. No, he did that for you so that you would understand who he was. And when God opens your eyes to that truth and you say, oh, Jesus, I need you in my life, and you surrender your life to him, you humbly bow before him and go, man, you're the king of kings and I'm just but one of your subjects. Your, your will is what matters. You know, I, I've been the CEO of my life and now, now I'm gonna let you be the CEO. You're, you're the king. When you get to that moment, you've been made right in the sight of God. You've been justified through your faith in Jesus. Whenever that moment was when you surrendered your life over to him, God now sees you just as if you'd never sinned. That, that, that's what the word justification means. The Father now looks down from heaven and he sees your life and he sees you as if you had never sinned. Whew. Hey, let me tell you something. That doesn't give you a goosebump holding the bread in the cup. And I don't know, I don't know what will. Because here's the deal. God gave us all brains, right? And our brains have the ability to remember. Now, one of the things we don't like to do as human beings is remember how crummy we are. When you're holding that bread and cup, wow. Think back to the last crummy thing you said to your spouse, the last crummy thing you said to your kids. Think back to the last crummy thought that you had, something you stole. You stole some pencils from the place that you work. I don't know what it was. And God sees you as if you'd never sinned because you have his son in your life. The brightness of the glory of God's son in your life just wipes out all sin. Unbelievable thought, just unbelievable thought. And what that means is that God's judgment is no longer upon your life. Because if you don't have any sin in your life, if God sees you as, as if you have never sinned, then how can, he, how can he pass judgment on you? He can't. So no longer is the judgment of God hanging over your head if you know Jesus, the good news, the gospel, if you know them. Now here's the thing. Here's where things are gonna get really, really crazy in the next 15 minutes. Because when you give your life by faith to Jesus Christ, not only does God see you just as if you'd never sinned, which means you get to go to heaven, but your relationship with Jesus, um, you know, your relationship with him comes with some other incredible blessings that you get to enjoy right now. And I'm gonna look at, uh, at least two of them this week or three of them this week, okay? Here's the deal, number one. Because of Jesus, you have now entered into peace with God. Because of Jesus, you now have peace with God. Verse, verse 1, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace. You see that? We have peace with God. I want you to look at those two little words we have. The, the, the verb that's translated we have right there is what is called, the, it's in the present tense, which means it's something you already possess if you're a believer. In other words, the war's over. God's not angry with you anymore. The problem of sin has been settled. 
When you gave your life over to Jesus Christ, he brought peace between you and God. God no longer sees your sin, your rebellion, your wickedness. God no longer holds those things against you. This is why we call it good news. Because that's good news. To think that the God of the universe looks down and doesn't see your sin anymore, that's good news. Unbelievable news. Now, there are many blessings that we as believers have to wait for. Okay, we don't get our home in heaven until we die and go to heaven, right? Uh, we don't get to experience freedom from sin until we get to heaven. Look, we're, we're gonna battle sin down here on planet Earth until we get to heaven, right? We don't get to see the Lord's face until you know, he comes and raptures his church or you know, we die or whatever. But there are some blessings that we get to experience at the moment of salvation, the moment you give your life to Christ. And one of the greatest by far is that we have peace with God. And by the way, this peace you've made with God isn't subjective, but it's objective. In other words, it's not a feeling, it's a fact. I don't feel like God and I, you know, there's peace between God and I. I don't care how you feel. Your feelings, for the most part, are pretty much irrational. Yes, God gave you the ability to feel. But as I tell you all the time, your feelings have no IQ. You can't educate your feelings. They are what they are. God doesn't say it's the... It's, you know, your feelings that will set you free. He says, no, it's the truth, capital T, the reality of the truth, the objective truth. This is what sets you free. And so, you know what, there may be times uh, when you go, man, you know, how I just spoke to my spouse or my life or where it's going, I don't know, I don't feel like there's much peace between me and God. I get it. You can feel that way. But that's not truth. I don't care how you feel. The truth is, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you now are at peace with God. Over and done with. The great prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Now Isaiah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, he didn't know who the Savior was going to be. He didn't know his name. He didn't know who the Messiah was. He didn't know who the gospel was. He didn't know who the good news was. He just knew God was promising the gospel, the good news. He knew that the Messiah was coming, and part of the gig of the Messiah, part of the, the good news, if you will, is that the punishment that you deserved, that I deserved because of my sin, was going to be laid upon him. And once it was laid upon him, okay, Father, we can have peace. Because no longer does the Father see my, my sin, you see. Now, this doesn't mean that you're never going to experience any trouble in your life. Everybody has trouble. Jesus promised that, that you'd have trouble in this life. What it does mean is that you and God are okay now. The Messiah came, the Savior came to bring peace between you and God, and at the moment you gave your life over to Jesus, he brought harmony between you and God. And once again, this didn't happen because of your performance or because you worked really hard at it or because you somehow deserved it. It happened simply because of your faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only source of peace between you and God. And so in a little while, when you're holding the bread and the cup, you gotta be thankful for that. And as we're singing a song, and you now have the cup and the bread in your hand, just, Lord, man, I'm so thankful that because of you, there's peace between the Father and I. Thank you for that great truth. There's peace. There's peace.
Now, most unbelievers would, would never think of themselves as being at war with God or that they are somehow enemies of God because they don't have any hard feelings or hatred towards God if there is a God, and they certainly don't wake up in the morning and strategize how they're going to thwart God's plan. And because of that, they have a false sense of peace. Never once when I was an unbeliever, you know, my friend Dave's over here, Dave, my dear, and I went to Davis High together, and I never once, I, I didn't know the Lord I didn't care about God, but I wasn't against God. I mean, I never, Dave and I never sat around and went, I hate God. How about you? Yeah, I hate God too. Let's, let's go out and thwart the plans of God today. Never once did we do anything like that. I was somewhat neutral as it related to the things of God. And because of that, I, I had a false sense of peace. Many years ago, I was playing in a softball tournament, and this was many, 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 many years ago with a bunch of guys who weren't believers, but they knew that I was. And right before one of our games, the coach came up to me and said, hey, Rick, will you pray for us? Because if there is a God, I want him on our side against these guys. I remember him saying that. <laughs> In other words, this guy was somewhat neutral as it related to God. I mean, the coach didn't hate God or say bad things about God. In his mind, I'm sure he felt somewhat neutral towards the things of God. But here's the problem. There's no such thing as being neutral with God. Listen to me. The unsaved person is only at peace with one thing and one thing only. He's at peace with his flesh. That's what he's at peace with. He's at peace with, with what's in his humanity. Because of this, they're mortal enemies with God. They're at war. You see, when Paul says that Jesus brings peace, that means there's not peace happening in some people's lives. There's war going on. And as a side note, listen to what God said through the great prophet Isaiah. He said this, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And he's not talking about, you know, certain kinds of peace. He's simply saying that, that the wicked, and that term wicked right there just means an unbeliever. There's no peace with an unbeliever in God. And in most cases, obviously, the unbeliever doesn't even have any concept of God. And God doesn't like it when you don't acknowledge him. When you live your life as if he doesn't exist, which is what unbelievers do. Don't think that there's peace between somebody who doesn't believe in God and gives credit for all that's out there because, you know, it's some thing called evolution or two molecules that got together and, and they give glory to evolution over giving glory to the very one who created it all. Don't think that there's any peace between God and an unbeliever, there isn't, even though they may feel somewhat neutral. Beloved, peace with God comes only through a relationship with the uh, Prince of Peace. That's how it happens. And it happens immediately when you give your life over to God's Son, Jesus Christ. It's one of the greatest benefits of surrendering your life over to Jesus Christ. And it's absolutely permanent and absolutely irrevocable. So number one, uh, because of Jesus, you have peace with God. Number, number two, because of Jesus, and uh, Pastor Scott talked a little bit about this tonight, you have direct access to God. Verse two, because of our faith, because of our faith in Jesus, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserving privilege where we now stand the version that Scott read, the ESV and other translations will say you have now gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Because you've made peace with God, because you've been reconciled to God, because God no longer sees your sin, guess what? You now have access to him. 
Because you've recognized that he's God and he's king and he's, he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the good news. He's the gospel. And you've given your life over to him. Your sins have been forgiven. Peace has been made with him. And now, obviously, he says, hey, you have access to me now. A beautiful, beautiful thought that Paul is unpacking here. Now, the word access is an important word, okay, because the the Jews who would have been reading this, and he's primarily, by the way, writing to Jews here, and we'll we'll see that later on. This letter written to the Roman uh, church was primarily written to the Jewish people. Obviously, there were Gentiles, but he's talking to the Jews, and the Jews would have understood that word access uh, very, very well. And the idea that the average person could have access to God was unthinkable to a Jew. In fact, I'm sure that when the Jews read that, uh, those that were not believing Jews, I'm sure that they were thinking to themselves, this guy's a blasphemer. He, He is telling everybody that they now have access to God. Because in the Old Testament, the Jews basically had zero access to God. In the Old Testament, God's house was the temple, and God's presence was manifest within the temple in this place called the Holy of Holies. And the only person who could go into the Holy of Holies and thus have access to God was the high priest. The Gentiles couldn't go in, women couldn't go in, the average Jew couldn't go in. The only person that had access to God, if you will, was the high priest. And he could only go in there basically one time a year and for a brief moment. And he could actually die when he went in. He could literally lose his life. Now, now in the Holy of Holies where God dwells was this very thick or gigantic curtain and it, and it hung down. It was really, really thick. Um, and I'm, I'm explaining it like a curtain. It was like a veil. And it was right in front of the Holy of Holies, if you will. And basically what that curtain did or that veil did was it blocked people from getting access to God in in the temple. Now Luke records in chapter 23 something very strange that happened to this veil, to this curtain, if you will. I think that helps you maybe catch a vision for it. Something really weird happened to that veil in the temple that blocked everybody off. And it it wasn't like, I mean, it was was thick. It was like three feet thick or something like that. It was this thick, big, beautiful, thick thing that kept people from getting to God, if you will. In Luke chapter 23, the very moment that Jesus dies, it says this. By this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle and then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands and with those words he breathed his last. Beloved, when Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave, he took his place at the right hand of the Father and it made it possible for everyone to have access to God. He broke down all the barriers. The, the veil that separated you from God was torn in two from the top uh, to, to the bottom. And we're told that in another gospel, that it was ripped from the top down, which means it had to have been God who did it because somebody could have gotten a uh, first century Saulzol and because I'm telling you, ripping the thing was just out of the question. I mean, but, you know, we as humans would have had to do it from the bottom up. But God wanted to make sure that everybody understood who tore the veil. He tore it. He's the one who said, put the veil up. Nobody has access to me other than the high priest. And at this moment, when Jesus Christ dies on the cross, God was now saying something different. That because of what my son accomplished, access is now available to to me. 
You don't have to go through a priest to get access to God. You don't have to make an offering to get you know, to God. You don't have to work hard and perfect to get to God. You, you personally can talk to God directly anytime you want. His door is always open. His door is always open for you, believer, because peace has been made. And now he says, look, come to me. You're one of my children. You have access to me. Ephesians, ah, you know what? Ephesians chapter two says this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far away have been brought near. We've been brought near because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the, 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 on the cross. Now, the reason why I'm taking so much time talking about this is because Satan likes to keep Christians in the dark about this great truth. A lot of Christians think, I'm not good enough to pray. I'm not good enough to be with God. I'm not good enough to ask God for anything. I don't deserve to have access to God. I don't deserve to ask God for a new job. I don't deserve to ask God to help me through this health crisis. I don't deserve to ask God for anything. Having access to God, that may be true, but I just don't deserve it. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. None of us are good enough to have access to God. None of us. We're all bad people. Very, very, very bad people. We're so messed up, it's not even funny. But when you received Jesus Christ in your life, he made you good enough. He made you holy. He made you righteous. He gave you the right to come to God anytime, anywhere, any place, with any request and not feel Ashamed. That's what access is all about. That as one of his children, you have access to him. You do. Hey, look, I, I, this is a ginormous church. They, they call it a, a mega church is what this is called. This church, the size of this church is in, if you took all the churches, okay, you put all the churches in the world, and you put them all together, um, we would be in the top, not 1% of all, size-wise of all the churches, not, not the top 1%. We would be in the top one quarter of 1% of all churches. That's how large this church is. Average size church in America is about, I don't know, 7,500 people. Lots of people in this church. Here's the deal. I only have so many minutes in the day. You can call me, and there's a chance I might call you back. Depends on what's going on that day. That's just a reality. Some of you have experienced that reality. Sometimes you might call and I may, you know, I'm so busy with other people already that made appointments, I may say, Pastor Rick, can you, you know, give Andy a call? He's called and, and uh, there's no way I can get to him and I don't know what's going on, but can you touch base with him? Um, so there's limited access. But if I get a note that says my child called me, bam, done. My kids have access that you don't have. And the same thing would be true in your life with your children or grandkids, right? You're one of God's children. Because of the bread and the cup. And because you're one of his children, because you've given your life to him, guess what? You have access. Now, my three kids can be talking to me at the same time. Ah! I get a headache. I can't, I can't hear it all. I don't, I don't know. I have a hard time just hearing when one of them is talking to me. What do you say? I don't know. God, when all of you are talking here in just a moment, and you're hanging on to the bread and cup, and all of his children in this room and all of his children all over the planet are talking to him. Somehow he gets it. He can hear it all. He doesn't get in a panic. He doesn't go, oh, 
Hey, Jason, relax, pal. I can't, I can't deal with your stuff right now because I got to deal with Andy, man. And hey, man, Andy, hang on a second. Countryman's talking to him. He, he doesn't do that. He's God. He's sovereign, all-powerful. So we can all be talking at the same moment and somehow this access that we have to him, he hears us and he's listening. Doesn't mean he's going to do exactly what you want him to do. But he's listening. So I'm going to ask our host and hostesses to, to come forward. And um, you can look at number three on your own. And maybe I'll touch base a little bit next week, Lord willing, on that. Because we're just going to keep going. Romans chapter 5 just has all these beautiful benefits of being a follower of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to stop now. And I just want to remember the one who makes these benefits uh, possible. And that's Jesus. And so here's the deal. We're going to pass these things, and you're going to have a little piece of bread and a cup. Obviously, if you don't know the Lord, you're going to want to let that thing go right on by because you don't even believe in the gospel. You don't believe in the good news. You don't believe in the Messiah, the Savior. And just let it go by and look at the lyrics of the song. Those of you that do know the Lord, you're going to want to take that bread and cup. And I want you to hang on to it because we'll take it together as a, as a church family. Okay, Father, thank you, Lord, for the truth that the good news has come and not only cleansed us of our sins, but man, it came with so many other beautiful benefits like peace with you. It brought peace. I stand here and you and I are, are, are okay. And God, as we hold these little pieces of bread and cup, may that just make us rejoice and be thankful. And not only that, because we, we've given our lives to you, we, can, we got access to you and your power, your grace. It's crazy. And so may this be a real joyful moment as we are just remembering these truths. Maybe there's sin we need to repent of. May we do that, Lord. That we might be right before you and Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness. Speak to us even through this song, and I pray this in your name. Amen.
Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song, beautiful song. Hey, I don't know if we can go to that last slide. I don't know if it's possible. But um, the last slide that I was going to share with you tonight said this. Peace with God takes care of the past. Yeah, that was the first one, because of your relationship with God. Peace with God takes care of the past. God no longer holds your sin against you, okay? Access to God takes care of the, the present. You, you can talk with God at any time. And the one point I didn't get to tonight was the, the hope of the glory of God. And that takes care of the future. One day, you will share in God's glory. One day, we're going to leave planet Earth. We're not going to be here anymore. The race will be over with, and we'll be with the Lord. And so, because of the gospel, peace. Peace has been made between you and God. Because of the, the gospel, you now have access to God right now. And because of the gospel, someday when you take your last breath, beloved, your next one <laughs> will be in glory. And I don't know what that moment's going to be like. I just know it's going to be, it'll be a rush that will never go away. Never. And it's all because of the bread and cup. It's all because of the life of Jesus. He came. Seven more Saturday nights, so actually, actually Christmas is on a Sunday morning this year. Seven more, and we celebrate the fact that he came. The second person of the Holy Trinity came. 33 years plus, a little over 33 years, he lived a perfect life a sinless life, a holy life, a majestic life, a wonderful life, and he lived it for you, for me. And this little piece of bread reminds us of his life. God came. And so, brothers and sisters, let, let, let's, uh, let's remember him together. But the Bible says it wasn't enough that God would just come and live a beautiful life, a perfect, holy, righteous life. Wasn't enough. The writer of Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You're not saved because Jesus came. You're not saved because of his life. You're not saved because of his great teaching. You're not saved because he turned water into wine once. You're not saved because of all the other miracles he did. That Those things don't save you. They've just pointed you to the fact that he was who he said he was. What saves you is the blood of Jesus. He shed his blood. That's what saves us. And this little cup here reminds us that the Messiah, the Savior, the gospel, Jesus came and died a horrific death for us to bring peace between us and God, to give us access to make sure that we would know we'd go to heaven someday. Uh, Christian brothers, sisters, let's remember the blood of the Lord. And so, Jesus, thanks for a chance to worship here tonight. I've really enjoyed every moment of it. Enjoyed the prayer earlier. Enjoyed the music. Thank you, God, for those that serve in this area. I enjoyed uh, just a chance to give. You're so worthy of our gifts. I enjoyed uh, just thanking you for answering our prayers about that crummy uh, place trying to come into our town. I'm grateful, God, for the Not Ashamed video. What a beautiful thing that was, just to hear how you worked in one of our people's lives, brought salvation, brought the gospel to someone's life. Thank you, Jesus, for the word of God. It's so rich and deep, and man, 
Without it, we wouldn't know any of these truths we talked about tonight. And thank you, God, for this thing called communion to just take a special moment and remember your life and death. As we leave here, Lord, may we just uh, have big smiles on our faces for all that you've done for us. And I pray these things in your name and all the God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.